Can you, can you feel it? That, that feeling that uh, only comes once a year? This, uh, this feeling that sneaks in in the middle of the night, it begins to happen. All the stores a little earlier, people complain about that. I don't, but uh, people do. All of a sudden, decorations are up. All of a sudden, the radio begins playing these songs. All of a sudden, houses are lit up at night, and all of a sudden, the world is more colorful, even in the dreariness of winter. Kids begin waiting for the man in red. Parents begin shopping and looking for good places to hide gifts. We all find ourselves buying wrapping paper, sending out cards, and each day is one day closer, one day nearer. One day we mark off the calendar, folks, Christmas is coming, and I can hardly wait. <laughs> Christmas at my house growing up was always very uh, exciting. We would watch for Rudolph. Um, we lived in Saginaw at the time, and mom would get us to sleep by pointing out the flashing red light on the top of a grain elevator to our highly susceptible minds and telling us that if we didn't get to bed, he was going to fly right over. You know, Christmas was my favorite holiday. I got gifts. I gave gifts. I saw family that I didn't see all year. There was so much excitement for Christmas that I was nearly bursting at the seams when December rolled around. I, I yearned for my trip to Santa. I spent months, months making up my list. I saved my pennies to buy gifts for my family. I loved Christmas. And when December came, I knew it. I just knew it. Christmas was coming and, and I could hardly wait. You know, God has a similar attitude toward Christmas in the Bible. I think sometimes in our New Testament minds, we miss the prophetic nature of Christmas found in the Old Testament. We miss the things that God was saying. In modern day churches, we miss this side of God. We don't see this prophecy. Throughout the Old Testament, God sprinkled in little prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. And he would look down and he would see this world in the state that it was in and he would pass judgment. And he would say, you're going to go into exile or you're not going to get this blessing. But at the same time, he would temper his judgment with the promise of a Savior. And every time God made the promise, every time he made a prophecy, it was as if, if, as it was if as he was saying, Christmas is coming and I can hardly wait. Of course... God didn't call Christmas Christmas. Uh, that started in the, the Catholic Church long ago. It was Christ Mass. It was literally the worship service that celebrated the birth of, of Jesus. We don't really know the exact day that Jesus was born. We've chosen the day, but it really doesn't make a difference. What matters is that we are celebrating His coming into the world. And this morning, I want to look quickly at Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. And in my opinion, is one of the best prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament. It is undeniably God saying, Christmas is coming, and I can hardly wait. There in Micah chapter 5, it says, Bethlehem Ephrathah, you were small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from eternity. Therefore, he will abandon them until the time when she who was in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers will return to the people of Israel. He will stand and shepherd them in the strength of Yahweh, in the majestic name of Yahweh his God. They will live securely, for then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. 
Father, use me as the vessel this morning. May the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you again and we praise you. And we ask all these things in the name of your son Jesus and for his sake. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. In this prophecy, we find most of the proofs that Jesus was the Messiah. Here in this time when, when God is looking at a people in exile and going into exile, He is saying things to them that they probably don't want to hear. Um, when I get on to my children and I say, okay, let's go to your room, that's not something they want to hear. But when the punishment's over and they come to me and I hold them in my arms and I remind them that I'm still their daddy and I still love them. And although I was upset with what they've done, my love for them doesn't change and I still want blessings for them. I tempered the punishment with the promise. It becomes discipline. It becomes something that changes their actions. And here, God does the same thing. He has been bringing these charges against Israel throughout the book of Micah, telling them what is going to happen and what is to come. And then He says here in the middle of this that Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you were small. Bethlehem, out of Judah. And in some translations it says, though you were the smallest of the clans. You know, God chose the place of insignificance to be the place of the utmost significance. Bethlehem wasn't just small. It was the smallest. It was home to shepherds. It was the home of common man. It wasn't a place where kings lived. It wasn't a place where people went, oh, let's go see the king. Let's go to Bethlehem. Bethlehem was an insignificant place, yet God chose this small patch to be the place for him to come. Why would he do that? Why would he choose Bethlehem? There are lots of reasons for that, and we're going to go over some more deeper reasons on Wednesday night. But the reason we'll overall that he came was that by coming to a common place, he made himself available to common men. If Jesus would have been born into the palace, if Jesus would have been born into the royal family that was in power at that time, he would not have been available to those who were common. He would have been cut off, but by being brought to the common place, to the place of shepherds, to the place of lowly workers, to the place where people just simply live, he became something else. He became significant. He's in the business of making the insignificant significant. He's in the business of making the lost found. He's in the business of making the forgotten remembered. He came to Bethlehem because he's an uncommon savior for a common world. Jesus didn't come, as we talked about last week, he didn't come just for the rich. He didn't come just for those in power. He didn't come just for Israel. He came for the world. He came for everybody. He came for the common man, for the man who needed him, for the sick, for the lost and dying of this world. And so Bethlehem, this insignificant place, became the place of utmost significance. But the second thing we see here is that the baby of Bethlehem didn't begin in Bethlehem. Now that's a very telling verse. There are throughout the history of the church, if you look at the great councils, some of the things they argued about was, was Jesus a created being? Was Jesus a creation of God or was Jesus God? But here in the Old Testament book of Micah, long before any of those councils happened, God says here that the baby in Bethlehem didn't begin at Bethlehem. His origins are from antiquity, from eternity. He has always been there. He wasn't born simply at Bethlehem. He was incarnated. He took on human flesh. 
we tend to think of babies as the beginning of something. They, they, they smell clean and fresh, and there's, just this, there's this newness about them. But the baby in Bethlehem wasn't your typical baby. This wasn't the beginning of something. This was the culmination. This was when the plan began to come together. A-team again, right? I love it when a plan comes together, right? That's what Hannibal always said. I love it when a plan comes together. That's what God says here, right? You're here in the book of Micah, and God says, you know what? Things are going to be bad, but man, Christmas is coming. I've got something for you. In Revelation 13, 8, we're told that Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So before this world ever began, before the words of Genesis 1, where it says, in the beginning, God... And he talks about going to the face of the deep. Jesus was already slain. It was already preordained. It already happened. It was already there. And so when the baby comes to Bethlehem, when Jesus shows up there, that's the culmination of what God has been doing all along. It's amazing to think that this is the point where he chose to come and walk among us. This is the point where he chose to come to his own creation. It was on that day that we see the very image of God. On that day, the baby would be born that would save the world. And God's plan was finally coming into vision. It's so hard for us to imagine this baby. It was only coming at the cross. That was his only purpose. There are great stories of Jesus in the New Testament in the Gospels, we hear of great miracles, but His purpose wasn't the miracles. His purpose wasn't the teachings. His purpose was the cross. When He came to this earth, that was the one singular purpose that He had. That was the one thing that He was going to do. And so when God here in Micah chapter 5 begins to talk about all these things, God is saying, Christmas is coming. And I can hardly wait. Because the birth at Christmas represented a new outpouring of the presence of God. Think about what's going on here. Israel is going into captivity. There is a period of a few hundred years where they don't hear from God. Has God ever been silent in your life? Have you ever gone through a time where you're crying out, you feel like you're banging on the doors of heaven and you're not hearing anything back? That's where Israel's fixing to be. They're going into exile. God is not going to speak. Now, we have some literature, if we look at it, extra-biblical literature that was written during that time. But one of the reasons why we don't call it inspired was we're told here that God is going to abandon them for this time. He's going to abandon them until she who gives birth gives birth. And so here they are, and they know what's coming, and God says, you're not going to hear from me. You're going to be alone. You're going to be abandoned. You're going to be exiled. I'm going to be silent. This is going to be a hard thing, but it doesn't end there. Back to last week, but there's more. That's a prominent Old Testament theme, is it not? God gives Israel what they need. He sets them up. He tells them to be faithful, and they fail. Over and over and over again. We see it before the flood. We see it in the flood. We see it at Babel. We see it in the wilderness. We see it throughout the book of Judges. David failed. In the prophets, God spells out their failure. Israel failed because the world always turns from God. We're always going to turn from God. Things are going to get bad, he tells me. He said, they're going to get bad. Oh, they're already bad. They're going to get worse. 
you're going to be alone. You're going to be downtrodden. Someone is going to rule over you. But a time is coming. This isn't going to last forever. You're not going to be by yourself forever. You're abandoned now, but when she who is in labor gives birth, things are going to get better. God is coming into this world to change everything. He says Christmas is coming and I can hardly wait. I've got something for you. Something's going to change. A new outpouring of my spirit. A new way for me to be with you. What we learn from the incarnation here, what we learn from Jesus coming into flesh, is that God is changing how He interacts with man at this point. Until Jesus, God had been there and we had been here. And when we want to see God, we would go to the place where Israel believed His toe touched down, which was the Holy of Holies in the temple. God's head is in heaven, but His toe touches down here. And so we go there. And if the high priest is going to go in, he's chosen by a lot, and he's the only one who gets to go in to make the sacrifice. But guess what? Guess what? He's not just going to go in because he could be sinful. So we're going to tie a rope on his leg. Because if God smites him while he's in there, we're going to pull him out because I ain't going in to get him. And God here says, Christmas is coming. I've got a leader that's coming. I'm going to change the way I interact with you. I'm no longer going to be that God who was there. I'm going to be that God who is with you. We, began, we sang a song today, Emmanuel, right? God with us. All of a sudden, God went from being the God who was there to the God who was here. And He began to show us things we had never seen. And so God promises here too that following Jesus will bring us security that we can't know apart from Him. He says He's going to be a leader for me over Israel, a ruler over Israel. He will stand and shepherd them in the strength of Yahweh in the majestic name of, of the Lord his God. He will, they will live securely and his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth because he will be their peace. He's going to stand and shepherd his flock. He's going to take care of us and our needs and our wants and our desires. He's going to lead us and never follow the ways of the world. It's amazing because he's going to have the Lord's strength. He's going to live in the majesty of the name of the Lord. And they're going to live securely, and His greatness will reach the ends of the earth, and He will be their peace. God says, Christmas is coming, and I can hardly wait. It's going to get bad. It's going to be hard. You're going to go through some mad things, bad things, but Christmas is coming. It doesn't end with the bad stuff. It starts with this birth. You know, today, we can't experience Christmas like those in the Old Testament did. The Christmas story is such a wondrous story. God had been silent. Nobody had heard from God. They were finally coming back into the land, but things weren't going how they wanted them to go at times. And they were living back in Israel. They were living back where they were supposed to be, but, but still God had been silent. And then... The angels started appearing to a young girl. I don't know how many of our youth today, if an angel showed up and said, you're going to have a baby by God. And nobody's going to believe you. She's betrothed to someone else, to Joseph, and... We don't know what the relationship is, but they don't have love stories in the Bible like we have love stories today. So it's pretty much an arranged marriage. 
she was marrying somebody that she was told she was going to marry. And so Joseph, he hears this rumor. They live in a small town, by the way. You know how rumors work in a small town, right? If, if Ellen comes by my house and tells me that Barry has an earache, and I, by the time I get to the other end of town, Barry's ear has fallen off. It's no longer there. So here, this young girl is pregnant, and she says, yes, okay, may it be as God wants it to be. What? And then Joseph, in that little town, hears some whispers. She's pregnant. Well, uh, that can't, no, 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 well, I don't really want to stone her. I'll just, I'll just divorce her. I'll put her away quietly. And then he goes to bed. And an angel shows up again. Says, Joseph, don't be afraid. The baby she's carrying is from God. So now Joseph, in the small town, has to get up and say, I'm going to marry her anyway because the baby she's carrying is from God. Because, or, <laughs> or he has to let the rumor fly that, well... They weren't pure before they got married. Because there's no way Joseph is going to marry her if it's somebody else's child. And if he marries her anyway, there goes the rumor mill, right? But they both know. And they're believing in what God says. And then she goes and she, and she goes to visit her, her uh, cousin in another town. You know, it's... Let's send her away. Nobody will know. And when she gets there, the baby in her belly says, this is Jesus. Okay, he jumps. He doesn't say that. He's still in the belly. But <laughs> she knows there's a sign. Can you imagine the excitement that wells up inside this little young girl? And then life falls apart. She goes home to her, who her husband. They've been married at this point. And then there's a census, and they have to travel miles she's nine months pregnant. Now, I've never been nine months pregnant. I may look like it, but I have not been. But if you've ever been nine months pregnant, you don't like to travel much, even by car, do you? She had to walk or ride a donkey. We make up the donkey because it's easier on our minds, but she was probably walking however long it took her to get there. And then that night. Certainly, we can look back to that first Christmas and we can read the accounts in the Gospels. And we can certainly see how the baby Jesus was God's Messiah, but we can never look forward to Christmas the way they could. And we can never experience that first Christmas like Mary and Joseph and Herod and the Magi. But what we can do is look at the Christmas message for us. God came into the world once when it looked the worst it could ever look. He came when they weren't expecting Him. He came to save the world from all of its sins. All the sins and part of the excitement and part of the anticipation of Advent this season before Christmas is knowing that just as He came once before, He's going to come again. He's going to come again. With the Christmas season, we don't just celebrate the fact that Jesus came once. We celebrate the fact that He promises He's going to come back. And so we can look toward the future and know that 
we look to God and thank Him for the provision of His Son in a dark and lonely world. And we look forward to the blessing that comes as we worship the Son. And this Christmas, we can be mindful of the true reason we celebrate this season. Because this Christmas, we can know that just as the baby came in Bethlehem, He will come again in all of His glory. And just when things look they can't get any worse, Christ will appear. Advent means the coming of Christ into the world, into our lives, and again, the second time in glory. Now this morning, I hope you can feel it. This morning, I hope you're experiencing it right now. This morning, I I hope we can think together with God so long ago that Christmas is coming, and we can hardly wait. It is that time when we find ourselves going, I've got to buy so many presents, and I've got to plan so many things, It's amazing to me how stressed out we get about the greatest blessing we've ever known. Christmas was so important to God that he talked about it throughout the Old Testament. Christmas is coming. Christ is coming again. And if we know Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into our life. It's an amazing thought that, that Christmas isn't just this time where we stop and go, huh, well, there's so much going on. The ends don't meet. I don't have any money. I wish I had money. I wish I could buy the gifts that I want to buy, but gifts are so expensive because gifts are expensive. Have you not noticed? I mean, gifts are expensive. But Christmas isn't about the gifts. It's not about the decorations. About the trees. It's about the God who speaks, and it is. It's about the one who loved us so much that he gave up heaven to walk among us. (laughs) Knowing what I know at this point in my life, and I am infinitely younger than God um, was at that point. I don't know that I could say, let me be a baby and trust myself to one of our youth. But God's plan was to make an insignificant place significant. Was to make an uncommon savior available to common man. And he did so in the most amazing way. Maybe this morning you've been dreading the Christmas season. I'll pray for you. Uh, um, I don't know how to dread the Christmas season. I don't know how to do it. But maybe you've been dreading the Christmas season. Maybe it's been overwhelming for you. I hope this morning that God rekindled in your heart and in your mind the desire to be excited about this gift that He's sending. Maybe this morning you've been struggling with something else completely. Maybe you found yourself in a, in a lonely place. One thing about the holiday season that we neglect sometimes is that it can be the loneliest of times for certain people. Maybe that's you this morning. You're not alone. There is a God who loved you so much he gave up heaven to come and walk this earth for you. And he'll walk through this time with you. And he's put people around you to walk with you. Maybe this morning you want to 
pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to surrender to missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. But maybe this morning you've never known the baby who came. Maybe you've never known the one who came to die on the cross for you. Now's the time to make that decision. You just walk down the aisle and say, Brother Troy, I want to know Jesus, and we'll go from there. But whatever you need, whatever, whatever you had this morning, give it to him.